0: So can humanoids and robots be Jewish? Are they even considered human? What are our Jewish values? What is our view on humanoids or non-humans that are created and act very much like humans or robots um, and the like? So the truth is for much of Jewish, for much of human history, people have always imagined what it would be like to create humans from scratch. It's always been there in the fiction of every culture, um, people creating humans from scratch. Um, Frankenstein is of course what comes to mind uh, when you think about creating creatures that act human-like. But in modern times with the advent of automation and more recently with the creation of computers um, that are able to process information similar to the way humans do, and now in the last decade or two With the development of artificial intelligence, we are closer to creating human-like creatures than we have ever been before. Today, you can have conversations with Siri and Alexa. You can tell uh, Alexa how you feel, and Alexa will respond to you, tell you how she feels um, and uh, the like. Um, And so there's a little more, intelligence, artificial intelligence, within these programs. Um, Some of them, some of these computers or um, robot-like creations can be quite smart in some things. And uh, in many ways, they're smarter than us. They're able to figure out things often that we can't figure out. Um, They're able to make calculations and they have processing power um, that we often don't have and uh, that we humans don't have. Um, But they haven't yet come to Um, true human powers, um, but they've gotten some, they seem to be coming pretty close. So in the current state, or even as we move further, if we can create, develop artificial intelligence to the point that the robots are really human-like and act really like humans, could robots ever be considered human? Can they own things? Can a robot own something? Can they have property? Would they have rights? Would you consider them Jewish? I guess you can convert them to Judaism. Or perhaps if they're created by a Jew, um, would they be considered, with the intention of being Jewish, would they be considered Jewish people? So while often people dismiss these questions at a hand, um, but in fact in the European Parliament today, there is a law under consideration to grant electronic creations personhood, allowing robots to be considered legal people. Um, I don't believe it's been passed into law yet, but it is under consideration before the European Parliament. Um, And I don't think it has been considered yet by our own government, Um, but we're not that far away from it. And definitely people are suggesting that it should be. Uh, The question we're going to deal with then is, what does Judaism say about this? So the truth is, not only is history full of people dreaming about creating humanoids and robots, if we go back through history, there are many accounts of people who actually did it. There are many accounts in the Christian world and in other communities throughout history of people who created human-like um uh, figures or um a fellow called um, Alberto Magnus, a German scientist in medieval times who supposedly created a robot, but we also have it in our own traditions. We are told that there was a there was a great sage called Ri ibn Gabriel who lived in the eleventh century in Spain. He was one of our great Jewish scholars this is the ten hundreds and poets and apparently, according to our tradition according to um according to the story that's been passed on he built a mechanical figure a robot that was able to serve him Uh, we don't know exactly what this robot that served him looked like Um, we don't know how it worked but what we are told is that the king of aragon where he lived then um, heard about it and um thought that he had created something out of witchcraft you know um they, it was Aragon at the time was Muslim. This is in the 1000s, and uh, when he was not happy about it. He called Rabbi Shlomo, who explained to him that it was just a robot. It was a mechanical thing, and uh, therefore there was nothing to be afraid of. He destroyed her. Then after that, so that's the only source I believe of someone creating a mechanical working robot. How exactly it would have worked, and what capability this mechanical figure had. I really don't know. Uh, presumably they did not have electricity or um, computer processing power back then. They didn't know how to make um, uh, computer chips. However, um, that, that's the story at least that we have. I take it uh, as it is. So that's at least the only record I can find of a in Jewish history of us creating a, of a Jew creating a robot. Yes, Lewis? Isn't the golem uh, yes. come into that category? Yes, and that's exactly where I'm going to move on to right now. Very good point. Okay. So someone Gabriel is the only story I'm aware of in Jewish history of a Jew creating a robot. We have other stories of other wondrous thing that, things that Jews created. We're told that King Solomon created a, a um, throne that the Midrash says was able to lift him up from one step to the next step until he got onto his throne. So some sort of elevation or elevator kind of system, escalator maybe you'd call it, going up the steps. Um, and uh, we're told that Rabbi Hiel of Paris, who lived in the um, 1200s in Paris, um, was able to make a lamp that burned without oil. Um, he'll figure out what that is. I-, I doubt he was able to invent a generator and create an electrical current. Uh, maybe he was able to create some early battery. Who, who knows? Anyway, that's the, um, um, maybe could, he found some fluorescent um, natural chemicals that shine. Anyway, we don't know, but uh, that's the story that's told. But as far as mechanical creations, we don't, doesn't go much further than that. But as um, Lewis pointed out, we do have a record in Judaism about another kind of figure. And this kind of figure is called the, Golem now Golem is Hebrew for a form a form, a plain form of something is called a golem, so if you just have a kind of a general um, piece of something that hasn 't yet um, hasn 't yet been made into a specific thing, just a general shape would be called in Hebrew a golem so but it 's re- used to refer to. Um, humanoids or human-like people that have been created. Now, the golem is always created using the, no- the mystical knowledge of Judaism based on the book of Sefer Yitzhira. Sefer Yitzhira is the book of, or it, the English translation is the book of formation. It is a very, very short book. Um, it dates back to, it's written in Mishneic Hebrew, but it mentions Abraham in the book itself, the teachings of Abraham. And so our tradition is that it goes all the way back to Abraham, or at least back to Moses, um, this book of Sefi Yitzhira, Um Typed out, the book itself um, is very short. It's about two, three pages, depending, I guess, on the type size of your type. So it's a pretty short book. Um, describing the process, the mystical process of creation using the Hebrew alphabet um, and uh, exactly how God created. Now, Sefer Yitzirah has many, many commentaries, many deep explanations, and using these systems, not found in the original book of Yetzirah, but based on the commentaries and deeper explanations, one is able, which explain God's powers of creation, how God uses the letters of the Hebrew alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet to create everything in this world. And we believe, according to the te- mystical teachings of Kabbalah, that everything in our world is, so to speak, programmed with letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And I think today we can use the best way to explain it is just as everything that you see on your screen as you see me talking right now on your screen that is really not me talking on your screen it is rather pixels moving on your screen and sound that again is moving due to digital processing that is creating generating the sound from your computer as I mentioned last week the chauffeur blowing it's not the chauffeur you're hearing. It is the sound on your computer you're hearing. It is not me that you are watching right now. It is the pixels on your computer. Each of those pixels are turning on and off or adjusting based on based on um, script. In other words, um, code. There is software code that is causing that my computer is sending to your computer across the um, across the internet um, that is plugging into your Zoom or Facebook or whatever you're watching this on, plugging into your browsers and your um, and your um, computers that is then allowing you to see uh, video or pixels of me moving on the screen. But it's really just code. In fact, if you have open a browser and you click the right button on your, mount, on your mouse, um, you can hit view source code. And it will show you, instead of whatever you're seeing on the browser, you'll see the source, which is just alphabet. So according to um, Kabbalah, our world is very much the same way. It is simply code. It's all built on code. Uh, Believe it or not, physics has come to a very, very similar conclusion, that everything that you see is really just built on code at a very, very basic level. Um, and, um, And so therefore, everything God is creating through that code, if you know that code and you learn it and you're aware of it, you're able to use that code to then create things within God's world. So this golem was, that was created was created through the use of this code with Sefer Yitzhira, with the book of, uh, based on the Book of Formation. Now, to be clear, the Torah prohibits witchcraft or magic. The Torah both prohibits, and there's some debate as to whether it is possible to change things using some sort of forces or power in this world. Um, and some some scholars think believe that it is possible, yet forbidden. Others, such as Maimonides, believe that it is impossible. Regardless, the Torah forbids us from creating things um, using magic. We are also forbidden from even pretending to create things using magic. In other words, um, pretending that we are doing real magic when we're really not, we're forbidden from doing so as well. Uh, Today's magicians, everyone knows, is a sleigh of hand, and that's not a concern. However, um, our sages are clear that if you can manipulate the code that God used in creation, you are using God's creative power, and that is permitted, and there is nothing wrong with that. And in fact, many of our sages who are familiar with Sefer Yetzirah and the codes of creation were able to then manipulate creation to create things. So the first source of creating a golem comes from the Talmud itself. The Talmud in Sanhedrin tells us that the great sage Rabbah, who was one of the great sages of the Talmud, created a golem, a human-like figure, using the codes of Sefer Yetzirah. And so, after creating this figure, Rabbah sent this golem to his friend, his colleague, Rabbi Zaira. This, this golem knocked on Rabbi Zaira's door, and it looked human-like, and Rabbi Zaira started speaking to this golem, and it would not answer. Apparently, the golem was not able to speak at all. And for some reason, all the stories of golems um, that we have in our history, it appears the golems are never able to speak. That appears to be a unique human power that um, only God can invest in people. Um, But those golems were unable to speak. Of course, that was prior to the creation of Siri and Alexa today we have machines that are able to speak, but then they were not able to. So Rabzeros tried speaking to this golem, but it didn't answer. So he said, you must be the creation of one of my friends. Um, and he killed it. He killed this golem. That's the way the Gemara tells the story, the Talmud tells the story. Elsewhere in the Talmud, in the Book of Chulun, we're told, there was another great sage, of Papa, who had a golem that he created, who would help him out. He would use um, as his servant to help him when he needed things. Uh, it's not clear if this was a full human-like figure, or just some sort of robotic figure that Rav Papa had. Talmud tells another interesting thing once we're talking about creating, using the powers of Sefer Yitzira, that two great sages, Rav Chananya and Rav Oshia, would study Sefer Yitzira every Friday, and using its powers, they would create a calf for Shabbat, and then they would then they would eat that calf on Shabbat. They would create it every single. They would create it every week. Elsewhere, we are told, um, moving further on in history, that the great sage Rabbi Ram Ibn Ezra, who lived in the 13th century, made a golem. Um, we are also told that Reb Eliyahu of Chelm. It was Chelm, I know is today the butt of all jokes, but Chelm was actually a real city in Poland, had a very large Jewish community, um, and many great sages, great yeshiva that was there before the war, that was destroyed in, in World War II, and uh, many great sages that lived there. But in the 16th century, the rabbi of Chelm was called Rabbi Leo of Chelm, and there's a tradition mentioned in multiple places that he created a golem, um, a figure. In fact, his own grandson, Chacham Tzvi, um, mentions that his grandfather created a um, golem. Now, perhaps the most famous of the golems is the story about the Maharal, Rabbi Yehuda Lo, or Yehuda uh, Leib of Prague, who lived in the 17th century in Prague. The Maharal... Um, though perhaps today most famous for his golem is one of the greatest sages perhaps of all Jewish sages of all times. Um, He wrote extensively on many, many, many different topics, Uh, was a great um, Talmudic scholar, halachic expert, Kabbalist, um, and uh, we have many, many, many books from him, and was definitely in his time and really since um, is almost unparalleled in his Torah scholarship. However, there was a tale um, that was widely shared, with, both within the Jewish community in Europe, um, as well as among local non the local non-Jewish community, around the local Czech non-Jews that lived around the Prague area, there was this tradition that the Maharal, who lived in the 1600s, had built a golem, had built this figure, um, and that would help the Jewish people, it would help them. um, There were a lot of, the the Prague Jewish community faced a lot of pogroms and a lot of other troubles and the golem would help them uh, that the Maharal had built. Um, And this tradition was widespread for a very long time. There's multiple sources um, mentioning it. And uh, then in 1909, there was a rabbi called Yehuda Yudel Rosenberg, um, a rabbi in Poland who published a manuscript that he had found that was written, that he said was written by the Maharal's son in law. And this manuscript describes a first hand detail of the golem. It describes the creation of the golem, exactly how they created it. He was there when it was created, and the whole process that they went through to create it describes the um, how, what the golem was used for, different events where the golem was able to help them um, when uh, the Jewish people faced pogroms or other troubles, and goes into very great detail of exactly how the golem was used. Most of the golem stories that you may read, or at least the original ones today, there's a lot of more fiction ones that were added, but most of the golem stories come from that manuscript. Already at the time, many um, many people questioned the validity of that manuscript. Many suggested that the manuscript was not accurate, was a forgery. Um, the manuscript itself was never made public and is no longer and was no longer existent not long afterward. So there's some debate as to whether that manuscript is accurate, um, but there's no question that um, there had been this belief among both the Jewish community and non Jewish community around the Prague area that the Maharal did build this Golem. Yes, Susan. Um, is there any description of what a golem looks like? Did it look like a human, like with? That's a very good use, like, question. Most places it. don't give us much description. Um, in these, um, in the Shifke Maharal, in the book published by Rabbi Rosenberg um, that supposedly came from the Maharal's son-in-law, it describes the golem as being looking exactly like a human. You would never know that it wasn't human. Um, it was very large, a very large person, um, and was unable to speak, um, but looked exactly like a human, and people mistook it as a regular human. Did they ever describe what um, kind of um, products went into it? Like, yes, with yes. the in same book, it tells, again, the validity of this book has been under question, and I don't know if it's, ac- I, I don't have a, a valid answer here, uh, but it has been, but in, it, there it describes the golem was made out of clay. Um, and uh, by the Maharal, um, making with his stick a figure in the ground and then encircling it and um, focusing on different Kavanot, different mystical um, teachings from Sefer Yetzirah. Okay, thanks. Sure. And uh, to learn more about the Maharal's Golem, um, there's a lot available out there online. Um, There's a lot of garbage too when it comes to golems. Um, but I, I would think that it's easy to get the Shibchei Maharal of these original, um, if, if you really want to learn more of that story. Um, again, the, the validity of that story is in question. Yeah. Um, what's not in question is that there has definitely been a history, both among Jews and among non-Jews, of this belief that the Maharal made a golem. Um, the, de- the, the details as passed to us may or may not be true. So having so many stories about golems raises the question, is this golem considered a person? Are they human? Can they own things? Are they responsible for their actions? Um, are they Jewish? Perhaps if created by a Jew, would they have to follow the commandments? Can you count them as a minion? So, believe it or not, this question was addressed Um in um, Jewish works of Jewish scholarship, the most prominent scholar to address this, um, and perhaps the first one to address this, was Reb Tzvi Hersh Ashkenazi. Reb Tzvi Hersh Ashkenazi was better known as Chacham Tzvi. Um, Although he was, as his name gives him, he was an Ashkenazic Jew. He spent some time in Turkey and therefore became known the way the um, Sephardic Jews refer to rabbis as Chacham. And so which means wise one in Hebrew. And so um, even when he came back to Europe and back to Ashkenazi communities, he remained known as Chacham Tzvi. So um, Chacham Tzvi, or um, Tzvi Hirsch Ashkenazi, was the ra- chief rabbi of Amsterdam. He went around different communities, but um, spent mo- much of his life as the chief rabbi of Amsterdam. In the 17th century, and he was the grandson of Rabbi of Chelm, who we mentioned earlier, who had made a golem. And in a very famous Shuva, Shuva's responsa, um, a big part of Jewish scholarship is people would write letters to scholars um, with halachic questions, sometimes practical, sometimes theoretical, and um, they would answer it. And often these were then these answers were collected and put together in a book. So in Shuva Chacham Tzvi, in his um, response in the collection of his answers to different questions. Someone asked him this question, if is the golem um, human, are they Jewish? Can they be counted as a minion? That was the particular question that he was asked. Um, And so to answer this question, he quoted the story of the golem that had been created that the Talmud says how Rabbah created a golem that we mentioned earlier and sent the golem to Rabbi Zera, who promptly killed the golem. Now he points out, clearly the golem was not human because if it would have been human, Rabbi Zerah would be guilty of murder. So if Rabbi Zerah is not guilty of murder, clearly the golem is not human. If the golem is not human, then it would not be Jewish, by definition, right? Because Jews are humans. And it would not be counted for a minion either. Nor would it be obligated to follow any of the commandments. A later scholar, um, Rebzvi Hirsch Shapiro of Munkach, which is in Ukraine, um, wrote, he lived in the... um, He lived in the 19th century and in the early 19th century, and he has a very famous work on halacha on Jewish law called Darkei Teshuvah. And in his work on halacha, he points out, in his Darkei Teshuvah, he points out that when the Chacham Tzvi says the golem is not human, the fact that he even entertains the question and requires a Talmudic proof to prove that the golem is not human is evidence that there is some human characteristic to the golem. It may not be human to be able to count it as a minion or to be guilty of murder for killing it. However, the fact that he even entertains the question and doesn't reject it outright because it's not a descendant of Adam, wasn't created by God. Wasn't made by. Wasn't born to humans. And the fact that he doesn't reject it outright is evidence that he did believe it is human in some sense, and so therefore he suggests that although you cannot count this golem as a for a minion, maybe you can count it for a zimun. A zimun is when um, three people eat together. Before we do the blessing after meal, after the after eating, we. Invite each other to do the blessing together. We say, "Rabotai um, nevarech or in this Yiddish, um, gentlemen. Or uh, let us do the blessing after the meal together. It's called a zimun, and you uh, then praise God and bless God before you start the blessing after the meal. Um, and so he suggests, well, you can't use, and you need in order to do a zimun, you need at least three people who ate together not 10, 3. So he says, well, for a minion, the golem doesn't work, because it's not human. But it still is part human from the very fact that Chacham Tzvi entertained the question. And so therefore, um, maybe you could use it for a zimur. There was another great 19th century scholar um, called Reb Tzadok HaKohen of Lublin. Now, Reb Tzadok HaKohen also wrote extensively. He's most famous for his Works um, on character development and um, Jewish um, thought, uh, or Jewish um, uh, hashkafa, or Jewish um, values, and uh, but he also wrote um, on halach, on Jewish law as well. He says he disagrees with the perspectives, of, perspective of the Chacham Tzvi, and he says no, a golem is human. Because when the golem is created, using the powers of Sefer Yitzhira, a human soul is placed into the golem. The golem now has a soul, just like any other child that's born is born with a human soul. So too the golem that would be created, that was created in the Talmud and by other great um, saintly Kabbalists, um, was also human. It did have a human soul. Now, it may not be able to talk, as we mentioned, and it may, have, it may not have the same intelligence that other humans have, but he says it's no worse than a child or a mentally impaired adult. According to Jewish law, a child is considered human. You cannot count them for a minion. They're not obligated to follow the commandments because they're a minor. The same is for someone who's mentally impaired, um, is still human. You have, they have human rights. They can own things, but they're not required to follow the commandments. They don't have the intelligence to do so, nor can they be counted for a minion. So he says, well, the golem is that, um, Sadok HaKohan says, no, the golem is definitely human, um, but it's no worse than a child or a mentally impaired adult. Bart, did you have a question before we go further? Goldie, cool. un, uh, understanding the relevance of all this. Just like uh, you know, if we studied the um, all the uh, thousands of uh, uh, prospective um, messiahs, is this is this how is this relevant to our Jewish? Um, understanding Judaism, other than... Very good question. I will deal with that at the end. It is, firstly, very fascinating. I find it fascinating. Uh, But, yes, we'll we'll soon talk about its relevance as we move move along. Okay. Um, Very good question. So, um, Rabbi Tzadok HaKohen then deals with the proof that the Chacham Tzvi had brought, namely, how could, if the (laughs) golem was human, how could Rabbi Zerah in the Talmud kill it? And Chacham Tzvi suggests, well, um, it must be that Rabbi Zera felt the golem posed a danger. It was a Frankenstein. It was dangerous, and therefore, out of fear for his life, he killed it. In such an instance, you'd be allowed to kill a human that poses a danger to your life. Now, the Chacham Tzvi's own sons, Rabbi Avram Meshulam and his more famous son, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, who wrote um, also many famous books, um, both questioned his, their father's logic. They questioned the very fact that he even entertained the question, um, could a golem be a human? Um, then they both suggested that golems are not human in any way. They're a product of a human, but they're a creation. They're their human creation. They're not people in any way. And Rabbi Yaakov Amden actually quotes from Avram ben Azulai, a great Kabbalist known for his book Chesed La'Avram, that golems, even though they're alive, are no better than animals. There is nothing human about them whatsoever. Others go even further to suggest that Golems are not truly alive at all. They weren't created by God. They're created by a person. So they're not truly alive in any way. And So um, regardless, so we, what we see there is some debate. Most were of the view that a golem would not be considered human. There is this view of Reb HaKohen or even of um, the Dark Chuhar see or Shapiro. Um, that maybe it has some human characteristics, or maybe even considered human, um, but most were of the view that it would not be considered human. Regardless, even those who suggest, like Rup Tzedek that a golem is human, that would be because when creating the golem, the Kabbalist inserts into it a human soul. However, if we go back to our question earlier about robots, um, even robots with artificial intelligence, it would be clear that a robot with artificial intelligence still does not have souls. Since it does not have soul, a soul, because it's, what we did not, we definitely did not, the scientist does not put a human soul into it, only God, maybe a Kabbalist can do that. Um, And so therefore, clearly it would not be considered human. As a non-human entity, according to Torah law, non-human entities cannot own anything nor do they have any rights. Only humans do. So although there are, is a movement today to offer humanoids or robots rights, and as I mentioned, the European Parliament is considering it. However, it should be clear that the Torah would never consider such a thing, because non-humans have no rights, no obligations, and definitely a golem would therefore not be, a. Um, while a golem may be considered human, Um, robots would definitely not be considered human, and by extension, even if you give it a yarmulke, or even if you circumcise it, it would not be considered Jewish. So while robots have no consideration as a human, can robots be used for a mitzvah? And this is something that is a lot more practical. Because today, even without robots with full human capabilities, we still have many robotic abilities that um, we didn't have previously. That um, perhaps you could have a robot do a mitzvah. Some examples that are discussed uh, by uh, that are discussed um, in halachic works, um, modern halachic works is: Can you use a robot for circumcision? This is particularly a question today. We know that. Um, there is a lot of, today, a lot of um, operations are done and medical procedures are done remotely using robotic tools. Uh, if it would be theoretically possible, I'm not sure anyone has invented it yet. Would you be able to use a have used tools to circumcise somebody, um, circumcise a baby um, using a robot instead of the mohel, the ritual circumcising using their hands? Now, circumcision is a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to circumcise. And you do it robotically. This might help with corona, right? We don't want to get people together. Um, The similar question is about ritual slaughter. Ritual slaughter is also a mitzvah. Can you have, and this is something that would be really easy to do, um, can you have automated machines that um, do the ritual slaughter of the animals for you since the slaughter is a mitzvah? Or do you need a human to actually do it? The question goes further what about to supervise kosher production if somebody is producing kosher you need a mashkiach, or supervisor to ensure depending on what they're producing but you need a supervisor to ensure that what they're producing is actually kosher could you use a robot or a machine that supervises it and sees if the wrong things go in if the wrong ingredients go in so, the, so to answer this question, it really depends what kind of mitzvah you are trying to do. There are some kind of mitzvahs where the mitzvah is the action. The action itself is the mitzvah. There are some mitzvahs where the mitzvah is the result. For example, circumcision, the mitzvah is not just for the child to be circumcised, but there is actually a mitzvah to actively circumcise a child. To the point that if a child is born without a foreskin, um, there is still a process, it's not exactly circumcision, that we must do in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Because the mitzvah is to actively do the circumcision, not just the child be circumcised. Since it's something that needs to be actively done, it needs to be done by another Jew by somebody else who is also obligated to the mitzvah of circumcision, it has to be done by another Jew. It cannot be then done by a robot or by a machine because that would not be a fellow Jew. The same is to slaughter. The mitzvah of slaughter is not just that the animal should be slaughtered, but to actually slaughter an animal um, if you want to eat it. Again, since it needs the mitzvahs in the action, not just in the result, you would need a human, a Jew that is, to do ritual slaughter. For both circumcision and ritual slaughter, the person doing it needs to be Jewish, somebody who's commanded to do to do it, um, in order for it to count. However, when it comes to kosher supervision, for example, there's no mitzvah to make kosher food. The mitzvah is to eat kosher. You gotta make sure that your food is kosher. So any way that you can ensure the food is kosher is fine. If you have a robotic system that can ensure that the food is kosher, that's just fine, so long as the end result is that it's kosher. So if you're only if you're if the mitzvah is the action itself, you would need a human to do it. But when those things which the mitzvah is only the result, it is only the result that matters. Then you can have robots doing it. Doesn't really matter. You need the result. Now, there are some exceptions to that because there are certain mitzvahs, certain things that we make for mitzvahs, such as matzah or tzitzit, where the person making it must make it with the intent um, or awareness that what they are making will be used for a mitzvah. And so therefore, a machine-produced matzah could not be used for the mitzvah of eating matzah at the seder. A machine-produced tzitzit would be a similar problem and so they all have to be handmade by a Jew who knows who is doing it for the sake of the mitzvah but with those few exceptions um, if when the when the goal is just the result to have a certain result you'd be able to use a robot you'd be able to use a machine to do it for you now an interesting debate has arisen over deciding torah rulings deciding what the rule should be today we have an um Today um, computers are able to calculate and often able to make decisions even better than humans. I think they 've found in um in medical diagnosis they 've found that computers do a better job than the doctors um, i don 't know if it 's legal yet to have computers diagnosed, but apparently they um, computers with AI with programs that have been programmed can do a better job at diagnosis. Um, than doctors can do. And so in theory, there are many halakhic decisions that can be rendered if you put the information into the computer program, then the computer program should be able to make the rulings for you. Now, with complex halakhic decisions, what's the rule in this situation or that situation? You may not, computer, we may not have programs that are smart enough to be able to make rulings However, in certain things they're very they're very effective. Um, having a bot answering your questions. Um, Reb Menashe Klein, who was a um, rabbi here on the East Coast, um, very famous scholar, um, who passed about a decade ago, um, dealt with this question. One complex area of halacha is called vestot. Vestot have to do with um, the laws of nida, a woman who gets her menstrual cycle, who is forbidden to her husband, and there are rules as to when the couple must separate, um, and it's, it's somewhat complicated, you need a calendar in order to calculate it, what days they can, they must separate, what days um, they do not have to separate, and so, um, it's, it's, and so uh, historically Jew, Jewish couples have always had calendars that they've used to calculate it, however, With the advent of computers, you can create apps that figure it out for you. So Rabbi Klein deals with this, and he says, he points out that Torah needs to be studied. We have a mitzvah to study Torah, to work out the laws of the Torah, to understand them, to analyze them. Not have the computer do the processing for you. So therefore, you should not have computers doing these halachic calculations for you. You cannot delegate that to the computer. Many scholars, however, disagreed. Most scholars disagreed and suggest that while we humans can rely on the computer program, read its results, we still need to be the ones to program it, and we still are the ones to understand the analysis, but we can use computers to help us reach our conclusions or help us make that analysis. They're just helping us study. And so today, there are many apps for Vesto that you can get out there. Um, there are there are also computers can help us with many other corals. Um, For example, there are different times, for example, when Shabbat begins. Um, historically, to calculate when Shabbat begins, you need to know where the sun is. You need to know the longitude and the latitude of where you are, you need to know the topography of where you are, um, and you need to know the day of the year, because the sun moves every day of the year somewhere else, and based on that, (laughs) you can calculate when Shabbat will begin, when Shabbat will end, when midday will be, or other important halachic calculations, Um, and so historically, um, Jewish scholars have always made those calculations by hand, right? They figured it out using the calculation based on the latitude and the longitude and essentially had sums or mathematical calculations that they would do by hand to calculate. And in fact, um, not too long ago, you would buy a book that would tell you in each place, every latitude and longitude, exactly when Shabbat begins and ends. Um, So you know wherever you are, you can figure out every day of the year exactly when candle lighting time is, Um, If it's cloudy, it's hard to see the sun, um, to know exactly when it would be. Today, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, Not too many people have the knowledge and and mathematical skills to make those kinds of calculations. Um, Today, thankfully, um, we don't need that anymore because a few very smart people have built apps that can figure it out themselves using the GPS on your phone. Um, and knowing where you are at any given moment, um, they can calculate based on the longitude, longitude, the latitude, and topography of exactly where you are, they can calculate exactly when sunset's going to be, exactly when you'll be able to see three stars, exactly when Shabbat begins, exactly when Shabbat ends, and it can all be done on an app. The computers can figure this out for us. While we need people to be able to put the information into the computer, monitor it to ensure the computer is doing it accurately um, and constantly update it with different fixes to perfect it um, But and people to read it at the end. But you can have computers figuring this out on our behalf. Now, it's important to note that we believe that everything that God created, God created for a purpose. And everything that God created can be used by us to fulfill God's commandments. And so whatever it may be, there must be, and whatever God created, there must be a purpose to it, and we can use it to figure out God's commandments, or to, 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 uh, to, we can use it to fulfill God's commandments. So there's no question, if God created AI, artificial intelligence, and of course on the people, the ones that developed it, but God created the possibility then definitely and computers and computer processing, then definitely it is for us to be able to use it to follow God's commandments. It can tell us when Shabbat begins, when Shabbat ends. We can use it to tell us where to find the closest shul. It is an app for that, believe it or not. Um, they, uh, the closest minion. You can use it to tell you, remind you to count the omer every day um, during the... Omer counting. Um, There's many, many Omer counting apps. You can use it, as we mentioned earlier, to count the Vestotes. You can use it um, for many other things we can use. Not only can, we should use technology because everything that God created, God created for a purpose. If God created robots and AI, artificial intelligence, it is so that we can use it for Torah purposes. We can use it in order to follow the commandments that God has given us. So while the robots will never have human capability and will never be halachically considered human, we should use them and for Torah. Right now we are using it as we speak. We are using Zoom and Facebook and um, the Internet um, and all, the, all all the relevant technologies to share Torah, and we're able to study Torah online, even during this challenging period for all of us. And in the same way, we're able to use um, technology for many of God's commandments. And not only can we, we should. If God created it, He created it so that we should use it for what God wants. Now, we should point out that there is a lot of similarity to, between humans and robots. Um, robots are smart, and humans are smart robots are sometimes smarter than humans. Um, we now know, at least we've been able to create robots that are smarter than humans, um, che- uh, robots that can beat humans in chess. Apparently ro- a, ro- a robot was that recently that could um, fight with, an F- with a fighter plane and um, better than a human. Um, but, and we like robots, which are controlled ultimately by their creators who program them exactly the way they're supposed to be, we too are controlled by God. God built us, controls us, gives us a mission, gives us a purpose, and gives us what we're supposed to do. However, there's one crucial difference between humans and robots, which is why ultimately robots don't have any human consideration in Judaism. And that is our ability to choose. Robots as smart as they may be, computers as smart as they may be, cannot choose. Even when you ask Siri to choose a song that you like um, or find me something interesting, Siri doesn't make decisions. Siri is programmed to be able to make certain decisions under certain situations. With artificial intelligence that's able to constantly gather, more and more information that it adds to its decision-making capabilities, Uh, but ultimately it's going to follow, the decisions it makes are going to follow exactly the algorithm that it was given. While you can ask it to choose something random, it will never be truly random, because there is no such thing as a random algorithm. There may be so many different possibilities, so many different options that to us humans, it appears random, but there will never be. It will always do exactly what it was programmed. We humans are different. For us humans, we, have, we believe, and there's a fundamental belief in Judaism, we have free choice. We have the ability to choose. Having that ability to choose means that we are responsible for right and wrong. If we do something right, we can get credited for what we did. Can't credit the computer for what it did. Computer does something really smart, you don't credit the computer, computer. you credit the programmer, because the computer has no choices. But we humans have choices. We can choose to do right, and we can choose to do wrong. It's up to us. We have that power, we have that ability to make that choice, choose right from wrong, we have free choice, we are able to create our destiny by choosing right and wrong, something that no robot is able to do. And we believe that no matter how smart we make these robots, they will never have true choice in the way that we believe humans have. But that makes us responsible for our actions. Unlike robots, we are responsible for every single choice we make, good or bad regardless of the circumstance that led us to making those choices. We are responsible for those choices and now as we get closer to Rosh Hashanah, which Rosh Hashanah among other things is the day of judgment, it is a time for us in Yom Kippur the day of forgiveness, it is a time now for us in the month of Elul to get ready for that by remembering the choices that um, we have made and deciding that from here forward we will only focus on making good choices positive choices because that's what makes us uniquely human, our ability to do good.